This afternoon, I invite you back to the book of James, chapter 1. The book of James, chapter 1. We're going to begin reading with verse number 16 for your hearing tonight. James 1, verse 16. James writes, Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of His own will begot He us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of His creatures. May the Lord add His blessing to the reading of these verses here uh, tonight. I want to continue on with that of our study here of this section in uh, James. And as we do, uh, we would just remind you uh, of the subject that we had this morning. Uh, the subject was temptation. And uh, it was temptation in the sense of solicitation to do uh, that of evil. Uh, and James told the brethren and us also here uh, from this passage that God does not tempt to sin. Temptation's source is one's own evil lust, and lust conceived brings forth sin and death. Subject tonight is deception. Deception. James here in our passage in verse number 16, he writes, Do not err, my beloved brethren. Do not err, my beloved brethren. The verb here, do err, or we have a negative with it, do not err. It comes from a Greek word which can mean to lead astray or to deceive. The usage of the verb verb varies uh, uh, throughout the Scriptures. The verb is used in the sense of to cause someone to believe an untruth in Scripture. Matthew 24, verse 5, For many shall come in My name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. There we see the word deceive. And the idea here is uh, to cause someone to believe uh, that of an untruth. We might think back to the garden. That's exactly what uh, uh, happened there in the garden. The serpent uh, gave that of an untruth. And uh, of course, uh, Adam and Eve, they believed that of the untruth. Another place that this verb is used in the same sense is in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. John writes, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not uh, in us. Uh, and so again, the ideal uh, to call someone to believe an untruth uh, uh, in that of Scripture uh, here. It's also used to mean to wonder or to move about aimlessly or without uh, any destination. Remember the Lord gave a parable with regards to that of a shepherd and a sheep. 
uh, upon several occasions, and on one of the occasions uh, he asked a question, uh, how think he if a man have a hundred sheep and one of them be gone astray, does he not leave that ninety and nine and go into the mountains and seek that which is gone astray? So, of course, the idea there with that of the use of the word uh, going astray, the animal uh, went out and went away and, and went astray from that of the path that the shepherd had been leading the sheep on. Another place the same usage is found is in Second or First Peter chapter two verse twenty five. For you were a sheep going astray, but now are you returned to the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Peter there uh, he writing to the saints of God, and as he does, he speaks of them and himself uh, as having been one ones who had gone astray from that of the past. The verb was also used in the sense of to be missled uh, or deceived, to be a uh, to be or become missled from a proper belief or course of action. Uh, evil men and seducers show wax worse and worse, deceiving and being uh, deceived. Actually, the word is used twice there. Uh, uh, the one in the sense of uh, missled about a proper belief of the truth. Uh, and that of one pressing that issue. Uh, now, here in our text, James he's writing to the brethren and he says, Do not err, my beloved brethren. Believe as we would consider that of what is before us here uh, that we've covered thus far, that we can probably see that the idea here is that of deception with regards to that of a truth or truths. Missled uh, with regards to uh, that of a, uh, a truth. Missled from a proper belief or course of action. Uh, James, he has declared several truths in the previous passage. This, this verse is kind of a verse that can either go either way. It can refer back or it can refer forward. And that's what most of your commentators uh, will tell you. I believe, first of all, that James is looking backwards. He's looking back to that of what he has just declared unto these dear brethren. And that is that God does not tempt us in. The temptation source is one's own evil lust. And lust conceived brings forth sin and death. He does not want his beloved brethren to be deceived with regards to that of these truths. And in particular, the predominant truth that he dealt with here in the previous verses being that God does not tempt to sin. God does not tempt to sin. Although the other two truths that he sets forth 
are most likely included in that of the warning, uh, that of the exhortation that he gives here uh, 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 in this verse. Now, you know what I said, exhortation? The verb is in the imperative here. Do err, do not err. Uh, and as we said, uh, a verb that is in this particular mood normally expresses a command, an intention, or an exhortation, or polite request. It's not a polite request. It's more that of an exhortation. And in so doing, he's exhorting them and warning them not to do this. Do not err, my beloved brethren. My beloved brethren. Beloved brethren according to the flesh. Because these were Jewish believers that James was writing to. If you note back up in uh, verse number 1, James the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. These were Jewish believers that were scattered uh, in that of foreign lands. Just like Peter, he wrote uh, to that of strangers and pilgrims uh, scattered throughout that of various provinces. Likewise, James here, uh, he's writing similar to Jewish brethren. Brethren according to the flesh and brethren according to that of the Spirit. These were ones who were believers in Jesus Christ. Over in chapter 2, verse 1, James writes, My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. These brethren, they had faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. Faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, James here, he, he in an exhortation, warns that of his brethren according to the flesh and brethren in uh, the Lord here. And he warns them of being deceived with regards to that of truth. Now, just thinking back upon that of what we find in the first few verses of this chapter, James dealt with that of temptation. Temptation with regards to that of trials being tested, one's faith being tested. And we commented this morning you know, about that of how these brethren, they were going through trials, their faith was being tested, and they could have gotten you know, uh, discouraged uh, because of what they were going through and had doubts about God. Then, of course, James comes along and says, Do not. Do not. Do not believe that God tempts to sin. He says, God does not tempt to sin. And so, in light of this, James here, he is seeking to encourage and to warn them from that of going astray. Going astray. 
As I studied this passage, as I came upon verses 17 and 18, believing that these verses were part of that of this section, I wondered, I was curious, how do these verses connect with that of what James previously was right. In verse 17, James writes, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness neither shadow of turning. James here in this next verse gives to the brethren what they need to understand and believe about God. He wanted them to understand that God does not tempt to evil, to that which is sin. No. God's holy. God is holy. He's a pure eyes and behold evil. God is light and there is no darkness within Him. John tells us. John there, as he declares that God does not tempt to evil, he was declaring, beloved, that God cannot be tempted and that He does not tempt anyone to evil. He spoke of that of the character of God. And as we come into that of verse number 17, having warned, encouraged and warned the brethren not to err, now He wants them to understand this truth. And the truth is about the character of God. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. God is one who gives. And what He gives, the gift that He gives is good. He says every good gift but not only is the gift good, but James goes on to tell us perfect. Every good and perfect gift. Now James doesn't tell us what he's particularly speaking of there when he says gift, does he? But we would say to you that in speaking of gifts, whether it be that of nature, whether it be that of providence, whether it be that of physical blessing, 
spiritual blessings. We know, beloved, that God is good and that what He gives is good. And it is perfect. Beloved, a perfect gift. It's exactly what is needed. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. God is good. And what He does and what He gives is always good. Now, this is in contrast to that of what He has been speaking about, where He was speaking about that of solicitation to sin. God does not solicit to sin. He does not do that evil thing. No, what He does is He gives good gifts. Perfect gifts. Actually, James spoke of one of those good gifts back up in verse number 5. James, as he writes about that of, that of trials, trying of faith, he said, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given. If any of you lack wisdom, as you're going through that of the trials, as your faith is being tested, James says, if any of you lack wisdom with regards to it, ask God who giveth liberally, generously, and He upbraideth not. In other words, James is saying here, God does not say, well here, let me give you this, and then if you come back and you say, well I don't understand, or you know, I need additional help. You know how some people, they'll, they'll help you one moment and then they'll uh, chide you the next. Uh, they don't want to be bothered. Well, God's not that way. No, God will, God will never chide that of us as His children if we come to Him and ask of Him wisdom with regards to that of what we're experiencing, what we're going through. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given. Over in John chapter 3, James is going to speak once again about that of wisdom. He's going to speak of it in a negative sense, and then, and then in a positive way. In John chapter 3, or James chapter 3, In verse number 5, he says, But the tongue, or verse number 8, But the tongue can no man tame, it is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therefore, bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessings and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be. Does a fountain send forth 
at the same time sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine, figs? So can no fountain bring both yield salt water and fresh. Who is a wise man and a dude with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his work with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom, wisdom that he's talking about, are here. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. For where envy and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above. <coughs> Note that word, from, phrase, from above. Is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy <coughs> and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in the peace of them that make peace. Our text, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. From above. The, the wisdom that James speaks of in chapter 1 that he tells us to ask God of, here in James chapter 3, he gives that of the character of it. And he says, it is from above. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. That those words cometh down is a present participle. The idea here is, is that it is an ongoing thing. Every good and every perfect gift. It comes down. It keeps on coming down from above. From that of the Father of lights. We're told of the place from which it comes, these gifts. And not only are we told of the place from which these gifts come, but we're told of that of the One who is a source. The Father of lights. Who could this be? Uh, you know. God. God is the Father of lights. Do not we read over in Genesis chapter 1, God said, let there be light and there was light. All of the stars, the sun, the moon that shines, that gives forth the light. Who is the one who brought them forth? None other than God Himself. They keep on coming down from the Father of lights, God Himself. As we already said, light in Scripture, when it's used with regards to God, speaks of that of His holiness, His purity.
it goes on to say, with whom, that is the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. In other words, He does not His character does not change. God doesn't give good gifts, perfect gifts, one moment and then turns around and does something that is not good. No, beloved, He never changes. We don't have to worry about one moment how that God's going to treat us and how He treats us the next. We don't have to be fearful or afraid. Do not err, my beloved brethren, with regards to that of God's character in the sense that He's holy and that He does not have anything to do with sin. He does not tempt to sin. And do not err, my beloved brethren, with regards to that of His character. He gives. He gives good gifts. He's good. God is good. And what He gives is good. And it never changes. Even though when we're going through that of testing times, and we wonder what's going on. It's difficult. We may wonder that whether God is even around. He's there. Then we come to verse number 18. And James writes, Of His own will begot He also with the word of truth. He begot us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of His creature. Now James has already dealt with that of the example of reproduction earlier when he dealt with that of temptation. Once again, that of the idea of birth, reproduction is brought before us here in this text. Of his own will begat he us. Or that word begat has the idea of born again. It speaks of that of the new birth. Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. Jesus told Nicodemus, You must be born again. Nicodemus, he didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. And that's very evident from that of the conversation as you go on further in the conversation. He's trying to figure out, well, how can one be born again? Can one go back into his, how can one go back into his mother's womb? Jesus said, you must be born again. That which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. Jesus wasn't talking about the physical birth. He was talking about that of the spiritual birth. 
again, we ask the question, how does this verse connect with that of this passage or this section? What does it have to do with that of this section? Again, it speaks of that of the character of God and that of His doings. Of His own will begat He us, James tells the brethren, with the word of truth. With the word of truth. I told you that James didn't really expand upon the gifts back up in verse number 17. But we also told you that from that of gifts, as far as nature, providence, physical blessings, that of that of spiritual blessings. There's a whole slew that we could make mention of, could we not? As we come into verse number 18, James, he gives us that of the character of God and that of what he does. He says, of his own will. He brings about the new birth. Beloved, God is the one who is gracious. God is the one who shows favor to one and not to another. It's of His own will that He begets us. Salvation is of the Lord. Regeneration is of God. It's that of His grace that changes, beloved, everything. Of His own will begot He us. How? What did He use in the process? He used that of the Word of Truth. He used that of the Gospel in bringing about that of this great change that is being spoken of here, which is that of His favor being bestowed, shown to anyone who is a recipient of that blessing. One does not become born again by believing. No, beloved, it is God, is God, God who gives life. It's God who gives life and gives that of the graces to repent and to believe upon that of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's through the means of the gospel being proclaimed. Of his own will be God, he has by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creature. That word that is a purpose word. That or in order that. With this purpose in mind. And what is that purpose? He says that we, note John uses the pronoun we. And what's interesting here, here in verse number 
18, when he uses this pronoun we, is it's not connected with that of a verb, but it's the actual pronoun in the Greek. Sometimes what you have in the Greek, you have that of the pronoun based off of that of the verb and how it's congregated. Conjugated. But here in this instance, is we do not have that case. It's in fact phatic here. James is including himself and he's including that of his brethren and he says that we that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. First fruits were the first harvest. Our finest produce that was set apart as an offering to God. And it was considered God's special possession. It was His. James tells the brethren here that they are special. And why are they special? Why? Why is James special? Because God has worked a marvelous work of grace in their life. Yes, brethren, we are special. We're a special possession of God. Of His grace. God sovereignly and willfully and graciously worked giving life unto us. It wasn't because of anything that we did. Not because of anybody of, of, of anything else that what anybody else did. Well, you said, well, what about the preaching of the Word? Yeah. God used out of the Word, didn't He? God did use the Word of Truth, the Gospel. God does use means in bringing about that of His marvelous works of grace. Do not err, beloved. Do not err with regards to the idea of temptation. God does not. God has nothing to do with sin. God does not tempt to sin. Do not err with regards to that matter nor that of the other two items that we are tempted from that of our own lust of, of, of our own lust and sin brings forth death and do not err do not be deceived with regards to that of who God is he is 
good. He is unchangeable. He is gracious. And last of all, we would say to you, He's merciful. He's merciful to sinners. Um, let us stand and we'll sing one stanza of Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me.
court's decision recently your law is the father we can pray that you might grant repentance the grace of salvation to many in this country and around the world to every creature we bless your people they're under great trial and conflict Thank you.